So we're going to talk again this week a little bit about this heartbeat of discipleship as we get started in 2018. And uh, I'm going to take you back to last week for just a minute and remind you of this uh, commissioning from Christ to his disciples when he came and he said, all authority on earth, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the commission, that's the core purpose statement of the church, to, to raise up disciples for Christ, sometimes including ourselves. And, and, and in this church, we've kind of phrased it over the past couple of years that we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in his image. And, and, and yes, we really did that on purpose. We're really proud that we did that. It gets the EKG thing. I say we're really proud of it. But anyway, you know, the, so that's why we're talking about the heartbeat. You know, how healthy are you in, in, in these areas? And this week we're talking about knowing Jesus Christ. And as we prepare to do that, I'm just going to uh, pose a question to you to ask uh, whether uh, in your life, is it that you know about Jesus or, or do you know Jesus? Uh, let's pray. Lord's may the word, Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you want to know Jesus, uh, probably the place most people will go first and the place most of us learn first is out of Scripture. And that's very much part of our tradition uh, within the Wesleyan movement. Uh, in the front of our book of discipline, kind of our, our rule book for the Methodist Church, uh, we have the thing called the Articles of Religion that John Wesley wrote. In Article 5, he says, The Holy Scriptures containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man it should be believed as an article of faith or be thought requisite to salvation. Aren't you glad I don't talk like that all the time? <laughs> I mean, basically what he's saying is everything you need to know is in Scripture. Everything you need to know about is for salvation is Scripture. And if it's not in Scripture, you don't need to know it. Other things may be helpful, but everything that's actually crucial, necessary, is found within Scripture. Uh, Paul, writing to his uh, uh, young friend Timothy, writes kind of a similar piece of instruction. Uh, he says, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in the middle of that, when he has that phrase, you know, right, it's going to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, he's basically saying the same kind of thing that, Paul, that uh, Wesley is saying in that, that article of religion. Uh, and in this passage, he says, you know, all Scripture is, is God-breathed. And that's one of three places uh, that term gets used. One is back in Genesis 2, where, where God fo uh, forms the, the clay and breathes into us the breath of life. The other is at the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus comes and breathes on the disciples, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And this passage where uh, Paul is talking to Timothy about the Scripture, that it's, it's God-breathed, that God has breathed God's life into the Scriptures. And it's Really interesting for us, I think, sometimes to stop for just a minute and remember that really when, when Paul's talking here, he's, he's really talking about what we think of as the Old Testament. Because remember, this is very early on. The New Testament hasn't been put together yet. So he's really talking about the Old Testament scriptures. It's God-breathed and it's, it's all got God's life in it. It all serves a purpose. We, uh, we sometimes have this tendency to uh, 
take those passages we struggle with and just kind of discard them uh, or ignore them. Uh, I'm going to encourage you not to do that. Uh, if you will struggle with that and then dig in and do your research, you'll find that most of the time there's, there's something in there that you need to hear uh, that God needs to speak into your life. It, it, it has power to it because God's life is into it. Uh, scripture has an authority and a power. And in the, the church, the broader church, so we sometimes say that it's, uh, it's concursive. Uh, that's, that's, that's a word the church made up uh, that means it's written with. It's written with God. God has written this, this passage with uh, us helping. And so you have a, you know, this kind of idea some of us have that um, you know, God sat down someday with Bob and said, okay, Bob, write this down, and Bob wrote it down. And, and, and I, want, I want you to expand that out uh, to a much larger picture because actually Scripture is written by thousands of hands across thousands of years. And God is in all of that. God is talking in all of that. It's not just somebody sitting under a tree somewhere saying, well, you know, this is what I think about God. But rather, it's thousands of people over thousands of years in different settings, in different cultures, in different languages, being guided by the Spirit of God. And all of that comes together about 1,700 years ago or so when, when the church kind of finally assembles all of that together in what we know as our Bible, uh, the, the canon, the standard, the bar. Uh, which we consider authoritative. It, it, it's not one person thinking about what God might want or, it, or, or this person thinking about who God might be, but rather it's, it's this body of faith, it's the, it's the body of Christ, it's the community of faith across many, many eons in, in many settings, in many languages, discerning what it is God is saying to us. And, and, and the community of faith looking at those passages and saying, Yes, I think that is what God is saying to us. Uh, so it, it, it's a much larger project than what most of us think of when we, talk, when we say Scripture is inspired or Scripture is God-breathed. It's bigger than that. Much, 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 much bigger than that. And that's why it carries the kind of authority and weight that it has. Uh, David Watson, who's a dean of United Theological Seminary, says, Throughout almost every branch of Christianity, one finds the belief that in our scriptures we have a unique self-revelation from God. Uh, in scriptures, God is showing us who he is. Uh, so if you want to talk about knowing Jesus, and you know, the place a lot of us would start with is, is going to look at scripture. And so uh, you go to Colossians, and, and here you have this kind of very cosmic high image of Christ that Paul gives us, right? He's, he, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is, this is the high cosmic image, the, the divine nature of Christ, and through whom everything is made and for whose purposes everything is made, and who holds everything together, and in whose offering of himself connects everything to God. I mean, it's a, it's a very high and lofty image. And interestingly, the same Paul writes to the church in, Philippian, in Philippi and, and quotes an early song of the church. You know, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, 
And then he launches into this song, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and here he's going the other direction. Instead of talking with the cosmic, he's talking about this, the humbling of Christ, that he becomes a human, he takes on human form, and, and he's in the midst of us, and he's obedient. Even the point of, of death on a cross, which was the, the execution of a criminal, uh, he takes that on, and because of his obedience, because of his humility, then he's lifted up. So you have this, this one direction, Paul's coming and he's talking about him you know, as, as the kind of the cosmic you know, the divine nature of God, and the other is, is more the human side of him that is elevated than out of obedience. And, and you get this picture from both directions of who Christ is, and the place they meet in the middle is in the crucifixion. And in the crucifixion, you see the love of God made real that we read about last week. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. And then this, this Romans 5 and that, that last sentence of Romans 5, Romans 5, 8, we oftentimes use as a word of absolution after we have a prayer of confession, right? God proves his love for us and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, this, this tremendous statement about God's love. And so you get it within scripture, you get this picture that God is giving us of who he is and who Christ is. But you also hear this word of love and this invitation maybe to go beyond just knowing about who he is. Watson says, knowing the basic truths about God that Christians have confessed through the centuries is necessary but not sufficient. It is crucial, but it is not enough. When we read the Bible, then we should look not just for information about God, but for the transformation that comes from God. The Bible isn't just a book of statements about God. It's a pathway into God's very life. It's not just that you know, God is telling you about him. He's, he's inviting you into this relationship with him. There's a, a crucial difference there. You know, when we know about something, that's factual kind of information stuff we have up in our heads, right? But when we know, that, that, that's relational. And it's transformational because it has a power to change us. Uh, a lot of you know who, who my wife is. You've seen her around here or you've heard her name or whatever. And, and you know, okay, well, that's Cindy and that's Tom's wife. And she does this, that, and the other. And, and you go on about the rest of your days. And, you know, it doesn't really change anything. But, you know, we've been married for 38 years. And, you know, I know this woman. And I want you to know that, that, that being married to her for 38 years has had a profound effect on my life. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, well, the next phrase is, you know, who we were, you know, when you enter into that relationship with each other, you give permission in a relationship to the other person to have an impact on you, to change the trajectory of your life, to change things in you. And when we married 38 years ago, we were not the same people we are now. And for the most part, that's a good thing. Yes. I mean, she has that impact. She has that permission to do that in my life. And that's what God is inviting you into in Scripture. Not, not just to know about God 
and then go on and be whatever you're going to be and do whatever you're going to do. But, but, but rather to be in this relationship with God where you know God and God has permission to change the trajectory of your life. And that's a very, very different thing. If you're reading the scripture, you'll, you'll, you'll hear that, that longing in God's heart for us and in various places from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you future with a hope you hear God's love for you. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. I don't want you just to know about me. I want you to look for me. I want you to come to me. I want you to seek me out so that we can come together. In John's gospel, you hear Jesus' disappointment about uh, Philip not getting that. Uh, Jesus says to Philip, you know, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me if you know me. Here, not if you know about me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And Philip hasn't quite gotten it yet, that this isn't just about knowing about it. It's, it's being invited into this relationship. In Romans, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of God. In other words, you can't call God your intimate Father in heaven unless the spirit is working within your spirit to claim you as a child of God. Draw near to God and, and God will draw near to you. And that old saw out of Revelation, right? I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and, and you with me. Remembering that eating together in that day and time was not simply sharing the meal but it's a, it's a blending of your life together. It's a, it's a significant event where you come together and, and your lives are joined. I mean, all through Scripture, when, when, when we talk about knowing Christ, you know, it's, not, it's not just to have an intellectual assent. It, it's this idea of, of entering into this relationship with God that God invites us into. Larry Randolph has written and said, The problem with church renewal in the United States is that we want the power of God without the character of God. We want to see signs and wonders. We want our churches to grow and our congregations to thrive. What we don't truly want is to be changed by God, to have the pride and self-will and sin burned out of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. True renewal will come when we seek not only the power of God, but the character of God. You know, when we go to God and we, we know about God and we read the scriptures and we try to get God to do what we want God to do and, and change things the way we want it, you know, we, we really are, are just manipulating God to try to get what we want and we're really no more than sideshow magicians. When we enter into a relationship with God, we give God permission to enter into us and to change us to fit into what God is trying to accomplish. And that's a very different thing. This week as I was doing my devotions, uh, Mark Roberts had this uh, passage. And this is kind of his translation uh, that he wanted to use uh, to make a point. And so this is how he began this. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ 
in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. And then he went back and he explained what he was doing with that. And, and although, you know, this is, this is a direct quote from him, and you could put daughterhood there where sonship is and be just as accurate to what he's trying to say. Uh, what the point is that, that there's that double emphasis. You know, you're adopted to be a child of God. I mean, it's not, it's not that you're adopted to be a secondhand citizen or you're adopted and maybe you hope to be someday. I mean, you, he, he's trying to emphasize the relationship piece of that, that when God claims you as a child, you are beloved as a child just as much as any other child of God. And this is God's will. This is what God desires. And this is God's pleasure. This is what gives God joy. It's for you to, to step into that relationship with God, to come in and to be in that and to be part of it. You know, one of the things uh, that my wife has taught me over the years is I've, I've listened to her, and I, I do try to do that once in a while. Um, you know, my, Cindy grew up Episcopalian in, in the first part of her life. And then in high school, uh, she went to a Pentecostal or charismatic church in San Antonio uh, because she was singing in the praise band there with her boyfriend of the time. And so she is a, a, a Pentecostal or a charismatic Episcopalian, which might sound kind of odd to you, but actually that's a great definition of what a Methodist is. I mean, this is, that's who we are. I mean, that's, that's, I mean that really, is, historically, that's really who we are. You know, the charismatic uh, uh, Anglicans, that's who we, uh, that's where we come from. And so, you know, she has this, and, and, and for years she kept saying to me things about, you know, when, when they're talking or when they're praying or when they're singing, uh, you know, they're, they're singing about God or they're praying about God or they're talking about God, but they're not actually singing to God or praying to God or talking to God. And it took me a while to start to hear what she was saying. But I finally begin to, to pick up on it. That, and how many times in our, in our songs and in our prayers and, and when we're in worship, we talk about God as God is in absentia, off somewhere. And, and instead of with the understanding that God is right here in the midst of it with us. That God is present with us. I mean, God, God is, is with, I mean, this is, this is knowing Christ, you know, to be in this relationship and, and to have him here with us in the moment, not off somewhere. And, and, you know, when you read the end of John's gospel and Jesus is talking to his followers and he's trying to help them understand this, I mean, he's saying, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Those who abide in me and, and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Dwell, that word abide, to dwell. This, this connection that you're connected, that the life of God flows through you from from the vine, from Christ. That out of Christ you draw life and you draw love. love, and, and that's what enlivens you as a disciple and allows you to be a disciple. And then he goes on with a little further instruction about that. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Not soft, squishy love. Not warm, fuzzy feeling. This is agape love. This is sacrificial love. Remember, as I have loved you, this is go to the cross for someone love. That you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends. 
because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. He's inviting them into a different relationship. He's not saying, I want you to know about me and do it. He says, I want you to be my friends. I want you to be in this with me because I'm in this with you. The love and the life that flows from the vine into the branches. And, and, and is that what defines your faith or is, or is your faith more a know about kind of thing where it's just an intellectual exercise where you've got all the information and all the facts, but you, you don't really have Jesus. So in, a, in 2003, I was in Memphis uh, when I got a phone call from my mother that my sister was uh, going to the hospital and was very, very ill uh, and um, flew that back home, came down here, threw some things together in a bag and, and drove over to Houston and, uh, and, and got to the hospital. And by the time I got there, uh, my rudimentary medical knowledge was enough with what I could see on the monitors and what they were telling me that I understood that, you know, she was really in bad shape and things had happened very quickly. And it was really difficult because I, there wasn't anything I could do. I mean, there was nothing I could do for her. Uh, you know, I, I'm a South Texas guy, and a lot of us guys in Texas, right, were raised to be fixers. Guys, right? That's our job. We fix things, right? And, and, and so, you know, that's, that's how we come at things. You know, this is one of the other things my wife had to train me in. Uh, she would come home from work when we were in Seguin, and there was a work situation that was difficult, and she'd come home several days in a row complaining about something, and I finally said, baby, you know, why do you keep doing this? If you just do this, 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 and she says, whoa, 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 wait. She says, I don't want you to fix it for me. I just need you to listen to me. Guys, are you listening? Get it? I'm giving you a lesson here. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> learn, learn to ask, okay, baby, do, do, you, do you want my opinion, or do you want me just to sit here and listen? You know, just, let me know what the game is, Right? I couldn't fix it. I mean, I was there in the hospital, and, and, and she's dying, and I can't fix it. And I was frustrated and felt useless, and I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. Or, and, and in the middle of that, you know, God just says, abide. Abide. Just abide. Okay, I can do that. So I abided in her ICU room. I went in there, and those of you that have been in ICUs and hospitals know that a lot of times they don't like to have you hanging around in there, uh, but I can be very persistent, and I'm a hard person to remove when I don't want to leave. So they finally brought me a chair in and, and set it in there, and I stayed in there with her all day Saturday and watched as all the, the signs went downhill and into the night, and I sat by her bed and held her hand and I finally laid my head down on the covers of the bed kind of dozed off and on. And somewhere, I don't know, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there, all of a sudden, I, I, I just, you know, you, you know how it is? Sometimes you just know there's someone else in the room, even when you can't see them. And all of a sudden, I just knew that there was someone in the room, and I kind of startled, and I woke up, and I, I looked around the room expecting, you know, to find a nurse or a doctor in there or somebody, but there wasn't anybody. And then these words just kind of came into my mind. You know, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. And as soon as those words ran through my mind, there was this, uh, 
tremendous sense of peace and also just exhaustion. And, and, and I knew she wasn't in the room anymore because Judy wasn't there. So I hung around a little while longer and then uh, got up and, and went across to the hotel and took my first shower in a couple of days and had breakfast with my stepfather. And he says, well, are you going to be heading back to the room pretty soon? And I says, no, I don't really need to go back. I'll go over later, but she's not there anymore. Because in that moment, you know, I knew that Jesus had come and said, okay, I got this. I got her. It's all good. Trust me, I got her. And she was fine. You know, to know Jesus is to encounter him with you in those moments, whether they're those dark moments like that or whether they're the moments like three months later when I got to do her son, her oldest son's wedding, which was a tremendous celebration. And a couple of years later, when in the midst of this congregation, I got to baptize her first grandchild. That's to know him with you. And to know Jesus with you is to, to know him in very familiar places like when we're here and we're having a wonderful celebration on Christmas Eve or in places that are really very different like when I got to go to Cuba and watch Frank Rojas preach for, what, an hour in Spanish and, and the whole time Jesus is just standing with him with his hand on his shoulder. It's not just to know about him, but it's to know him. And so I, I really just want you to think this morning and be honest with yourself. You know, do, do you know about Jesus or, or do you know him? And if you're not sure what the answer is, maybe that's your, that's your agenda for the year. To move yourself from knowing about to where you're willing to open yourselves up. Allow him to change the trajectory of your life. Come to know him. I want to share a blessing with you from the early church, from our brother Paul that he shared with the church in Ephesus. And, and as I do this, what I'm going to invite you to do is to receive this. I want you to hold your hands out with your palms open, either in front of you or beside you, whatever's comfortable. Uh, just hold them out and, and let me pour this blessing uh, in, into your heart and your spirit and your life. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Amen.